right, good morning. Uh, in your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, there are some Bibles under the seats, and the scripture will also be on the screen. But Matthew chapter 5. So last week, we began a new sermon series that's going to take us through the fall called Kingdom Life. And it's our study through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' longest recorded sermon. It's found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. So uh, last week we looked at the, what we call the Beatitudes, blessed are those who, blessed are those who, and so on, and, and how Jesus said, look, you are to be salt and light in this world. And, and one thing uh, that we, we brought up was that we, we know what Jesus did. We think about the cross and the empty grave, which rightly we should every day go back to the cross and that empty grave. That is our life. That is our hope. So we, we know what Jesus did, but are we listening to what he said? And so in this series, we're listening to what Jesus said and how he speaks to our lives and, and this life that we're to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so you may be wondering, well, I wonder what Jesus is saying this week. Uh, well, uh, among his topics this week is uh, our, he's going to be talking about murder and sex. Uh, sounds like the latest Netflix series, but Jesus addresses things that are relevant, uh, that were relevant then and that are still relevant today and applicable to our lives today. So let's get into it. We're in verse 17, and that's where we're, we're picking up. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called least, the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord, and we are thankful for it, and we believe that it is useful, that it is applicable for teaching, for training us today. So what Jesus does here is he gets to the heart and that's what we're going to see over and over in, as we read his teaching today is Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. He gets to the essential meaning of what he is addressing. And so the first thing that he addresses there, we see in verse 17, is the law and the prophets. And, and what that is, he's referring to what we know as the Old Testament scriptures. He says, I didn't come to destroy, to abolish. I didn't come to teach something different from what we know in the law and the prophets, from what we know in the Old Testament. He said, I didn't come to do that. Instead, I came to accomplish, to fulfill their purpose. And so Jesus gets to the heart of the Old Testament, and the heart of the Old Testament is Jesus. That's the essential meaning. That's what everything points to. Uh, think of an acorn. And uh, an acorn, so if I had one here uh, today, I could set it on this table and, and I, 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 I could destroy it. I could take a hammer and I could just smash it to pieces and that acorn is no more. Or we could plant it in the ground and we could watch it grow into a healthy, massive oak tree fulfilling or accomplishing its purpose. What Jesus does here 
He didn't destroy the writings of the law and the prophets. He didn't destroy or contradict the Old Testament. Instead, he fulfilled, accomplished the purposes of the Old Testament. You see, Jesus, all the Old Testament is about Jesus. It all points to him. The prophecies were pointing to Jesus. The sacrificial system was all pointing towards Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the in his obedience fulfilled the writings of the Old Testament, in his perfect life and in his sacrificial death. And then Jesus here, and we're going to see in, in, in this reading today, Jesus fulfills the Old Testament in, in getting to the heart of the true interpretation of the Scriptures and not reading it on just a surface level, but going down beneath and, and, and getting that. So everything, the heart of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And then we get to verse 20 where Jesus gets to the heart of righteousness. And verse 20 says, Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you... I'm going to restate some of this. Unless it's better, unless your righteousness is better than the teachers of the law, than the Pharisees. So unless your righteousness is better than the religious elite those that you're looking to and saying, wow, they must be close to God. He says, unless it's better than theirs, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh my, what a shocking statement this must have been to those originals, original hearers who were there on the mountainside with him. They said, unless your righteousness is better than those religious elite, those who, who have the scriptures memorized, those who are educated, how did the fishermen, how did the, the average Joe take that? Saying, I'm, 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 un, I'm uneducated. What hope is there for me? How can we take this today? What hope is there for me? I'm not that close to God. But Jesus gets to the heart of righteousness. And, 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 and he says, it's not about the external righteousness. It's not about going through the motions. It's not about observing rules and laws. Jesus says, I want a completely different kind of righteousness. I want an internal, a heart righteousness that for us comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit working in us, making us who's made us a new creation and conforming us, transforming us into the image of Jesus himself. So for Jesus, the heart of righteousness is, is the heart, is the internal in 1 Samuel chapter 16, one of those Old Testament scriptures. It's one of the historical books in the Old Testament. And God is choosing David to be the next king. And he's using a man named Samuel to do that. And so Samuel is, is observing uh, these, these brothers from the family of Jesse. And he's like, well, that, that's got to be the one. You know, strong, mature, uh, uh, handsome, man, that's, that's got to be the one. And God's like, no, no, no. And then God says something. He says, man looks at the outward appearance. Man looks at the external. Man looks at the outward, outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So God says that of David. And then we read in Psalm 51, Old Testament writing, one of the prayers of David, of whom it was said, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And we look at Psalm 51, and David prays this to the Lord, and he says, 
you don't desire sacrifices or burn offerings or I would bring them. Instead, you want a broken and contrite heart. God wants the heart, that internal righteousness. Next, as we move on, Jesus brings up six topics from this. And, and, and what he does with each one of these topics, murder and sex being among them, is he takes it from the external to the internal. Jesus says, okay, here you've, you've heard it said and, and it's practiced just, just kind, of, kind of observing, kind of, kind of taking care of the action. But what Jesus does is he takes it up a notch, takes it from the external and takes it to the internal from just the, the action to the attitude of the heart. We're going to look at a few of those topics today and then we'll get to the others in a couple of weeks. So let's continue in verse 21. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. Think back, Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you are on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. Here, Jesus gets to the heart of murder. And he says, it's not just about that action, which is horrible, which is we don't want to go there. He says it's not just about that, though. And Jesus takes it up a notch and takes it from just the external, what we can all see, to the internal attitude. And he says, more, more than that, that, that action, that comes from something within. That comes from an attitude of anger, of hatred, and I know most of us here, we think, well, we don't have a problem with anger. Um, but it doesn't take much. And we get set off and we lose that short temper that we have. And we look something like this guy on the screen. That transformation happens when we're dealing with a rep receptionist where we're trying to do business. And we've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And then they speak rudely to us. And so we feel an offense and we get mad. How dare they talk to us like that? Why can't they do their job the right way? We get angry at the boss who will never listen to our ideas. We get angry at the sibling who is just annoying. We get angry at the other driver out there on the road. And we let them know with our words or sometimes just our hand signals just how angry we are at them. But Jesus, he doesn't take this attitude lightly when we read the scripture here. When he talks about calling someone an idiot, 
and anger, and, and I know, and we're not going to go there right now, I know there's righteous anger, and, and that's, that's, that's anger over sin. The anger that Jesus is addressing here is that anger when we feel like an offense to us. Someone has spoken, someone has mistreated us, and we just get angry and, and hateful towards them. Jesus doesn't seem to take it lightly. And I think that the reason Jesus doesn't take it lightly is because when the scriptures say, when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, we become a new creation, that that's not mere words. That's not just an idea. Oh, anyone who is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That's not just words. That's not just an idea that, that sounds great. I think Jesus takes this very seriously because that is true. Because when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, by God's grace, receive eternal life, then the Holy Spirit is living in us by grace, producing this new attitude. And we're expected to actually live out this kingdom life that Jesus describes here in the Gospel of Matthew. And so he is very straight, very direct about this. Notice in verses 23 through 26 uh, what he says about reconciliation. Broken relationships. He says, if you're there and you are, if you're at the worship center and you are singing your praises to modernize it today for us and singing your praises and giving your offering, but you remember that someone has something against you, Jesus says, go take care of that. Broken relationships can hinder our relationship with God because God doesn't just care about our worship and our, our lifting our hands, but he cares about our extending our hands to one another in kindness. He cares about how we are treating one another. And then he says... In verse 25, when you're on the way to the court, settle your differences quickly. And, and this, is, this is just good practical advice here. He says, if there's a problem, settle it fast. Take care of it as, as, as quickly as you can. Uh, you think about something. If some food has gone bad and, and, and you, can, you can smell it, it's, it's kind of rotten, you don't just leave it and, and allow it to, to grow worse and worse and, and the stink just to, to fill the house. Instead, you get rid of that rotten food, right? You deal with it as quickly because something has gone bad. Jesus says here, if, if there is a broken relationship, if there is an offense, if there's something that needs to be taken care of between you and someone else, another human being, take care of it quickly. Good advice. Um, several years ago, uh, uh, my family and I, we were living in Cleveland, Ohio, and I've got a couple of brothers, and uh, one of them, we'll, we'll just call him Dan, uh, uh, flew up. And... Uh, so I think we were going to be uh, doing a race uh, together there. And so he was just going to be there for a few days. And so we did the race. Everything went fine. And then the last day that he was going to be there, uh, we went out to the garage and uh, we had a ping pong table. And a family of three boys growing up, and I was the youngest, and so, uh, but we were very competitive. Now, here's the deal. When we were kids, it wasn't very competitive to them because I was the youngest, right? But, but we competed at everything. 
even as adults. And so uh, we go out to the garage and we're playing ping pong and uh, we both like to win and neither of us like to lose, especially to one another. And so anyways, don't even remember, but, but one of us was winning. The other one said something smart. The other person took offense to that and we got angry at each other. Grown men, adults, fighting over ping pong. I know it's really silly, but legit, it happened. We didn't talk much the rest of that afternoon. I drove him to the airport in silence. He got out. That was it. We were, we were ticked at each other. And uh, what could have happened is that stink could have been allowed to grow, grow worse. And okay, hey, I'm not going to come uh, see you at Christmas uh, at, at, at our parents' house because you're going to be there, so I'm going to stay away. And, and that could have grown and just got worse and worse and worse. But about two hours later, I got a phone call, and Dan was on a layover on his flights back home, and he called, and he said, I'm sorry. That was silly. And, and, and guys, you know, when, when there's, there's a problem between two people, it's usually not one person that's at fault, right? And so he said he was sorry. I said I was sorry. I don't even today remember who started it or whatever. But we were both at fault. We were acting like little kids. He said sorry. I said I'm sorry. Reconciliation, everything was good, and today we can laugh about it. But Jesus said, settle it quickly. And that impressed me that evening when he called. Two hours later, he called. I, I didn't make a move. But he called to settle it quickly. And that's advice that Jesus gives here. Don't hold on to that. It's, we're so stubborn. And, you know, we're always right. And saying, I'm sorry... Sounds so simple. Two words sound so simple to us, but they can be so hard to open our mouths and to speak those words to someone else because we're angry. They have wronged us. They've offended us. They've, they've mistreated us. But just quickly saying, I'm sorry, can take care of so much and can allow something from growing worse and worse and stinking worse and worse and worse. And so just to help us all, because maybe you need to say you're sorry to someone this week, just to help us all, sometimes just, just saying it, getting out of the way, and it's like, oh, that's not so bad. I can do that. And so on the count of two, I'm going to invite all of you to say, I'm sorry with me. All right? On the count of two, just, just so that we can speak that, okay? Uh, one and two. I'm sorry, that, that wasn't so bad. All right, Jesus continues here. Verse 27, we pick up. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. This also, think 10 commandments, Exodus chapter 20. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust... Gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Oh, wow. Uh, Jesus gets to the heart here of adultery. And Jesus is not changing the interpretation of the Old Testament scriptures here. He's just getting to the heart of the, the essential meaning of that command to not commit adultery because that action comes from an attitude within. And the, if the action is adultery, the attitude that, that that comes from is lust. 
And so Jesus just takes it up a notch and says, look, we're not just talking about the external, what everybody can see. We're talking about the internal. We're talking about the heart. And so with this, getting the heart of adultery, it's about lust. Jesus, uh, excuse me, excuse me. Now, look, simply acknowledging beauty, that, that's not lust. Lust is the intense desire for the forbidden. The intense sexual desire for the forbidden. And the forbidden, if we're talking about adultery, uh, adultery and lust, uh, the forbidden is anything outside of your marriage partner. Anyone outside of your marriage partner if you, is, is, is adultery, is, is lust. And Jesus says, look, it's not just about the action that, yeah, everybody can see. It's about the attitude, the heart that that comes from. Jesus says, don't mess with this. If your eye is causing you to lust, he says, gouge it out. If your hand is causing you to sin, he says, cut it off. And now, guys, if we were to all obey that literally, we would look something like this fella. Jesus is, 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 what he's using here is an exaggerated overstatement to emphasize a point. And the point is, take steps to keep yourself from getting trapped by lust. Take steps, even if they seem extreme, to protect yourself from temptation. What could those steps be? What could gouging out our eye and cutting off our hand today to keep us from sinning, what could that look like? Well, when we're talking about lust, uh, it's probably going to, to look something like boundaries. And so it may mean setting boundaries on what you watch. It may mean setting boundaries on what you have access to on your device. And this isn't something that just little children do, but this is something that that, that grown men do to protect themselves. And they say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut off access to this because it's so important, because my heart before God is so important, because what this could lead to and the devastation that this could cause is so important. So I'm going to set boundaries on what I watch, on what I have access to. It may mean setting boundaries on who I hang with, because when I hang with this crowd, when I hang with these guys, when I hang with these gals, the talk turns illicit, and it, it puts my mind, it puts my heart in a place that is not healthy. It may mean setting boundaries on where you go. I'm going to stay away from there. And if you're a parent of, of, of children, well, that's our responsibility then to set those boundaries for our kids to help protect them as they are growing One of my favorite authors is Randy Alcorn. Several years ago, he uh, wrote a book called The Purity Principle where he addresses uh, uh, this topic. And The Purity Principle is really pretty simple, um, really pretty direct. 
Uh, purity is always smart, and impurity is always stupid. And so we move on. Uh, verse 31. So, verse 31, the last topic that we're looking at, real briefly. Uh, you have heard that the law says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. So here Jesus gets to the heart of divorce. And getting to the heart of it, what he says is, don't take marriage and divorce lightly. He's referring back to Deuteronomy 24, where they talk about a, a written certificate of divorce for protection and for other purposes so that the people wouldn't take it lightly. And he says, look, marriage and divorce is not something to be taken lightly. That's, that's the heart of this here. Scripture says a lot more about marriage and divorce. We're not getting into all of that today. And the reality for many of us uh, is that this is a part of our story. Uh, but there is forgiveness, there's grace, uh, there doesn't need to be shame. Uh, you can uh, follow hard after Jesus uh, if any of this is a part of your story. Uh, and I also want to point out, since we talk about marriage, and often we, we, we do, uh, I also want to point out that Scripture addresses those who do not marry. And something that we just ought to take note of is that Jesus never married. And the Bible actually says that the single person can have a greater kingdom devotion. And for many of us here, uh, that is a part of our story. You've either never been married or you're not married now. And <clears throat> you are no less adult, you are no less mature or responsible than a married uh, person. There is no shame. You can follow hard, hard after Jesus, be fully devoted to him uh, in the life that you're living Getting to the heart of this is we know with divorce there are cases of abandonment, there are cases of abuse, but we shouldn't be looking for ways out. Um, we shouldn't not be willing to work, and it takes a lot of work. But we should seek to fulfill God's original plan, which is a marriage that lasts and that glorifies God, that reflects uh, the gospel and the love that Jesus has for his church. Uh, think of your marriage like a fire. So you see an image of the campfire there. And so just some practical uh, way to think about this. Think of your marriage uh, like this fire. And, and either you are helping the fire grow stronger and burn brighter. You're stoking it. You're, you're, you're helping uh, that marriage relationship uh, to glorify God or you're spreading it out and pouring water on it. So if you are married, I would just say, like, like, what are you doing in your marriage relationship right now? Are you stoking it, helping that to burn brighter, get hotter? Or are you pouring water on it, putting it out? Consider, consider that. All right, big picture, putting this all together again. Jesus was about getting to the heart. As we think about kingdom life, here he was about getting to the heart of righteousness. And what does that look like? A righteousness that will allow us to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a righteousness that comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's by us giving our hearts, us giving our lives to Jesus and allowing him to transform it, allowing him to forgive us and to give us that free gift of eternal life. 
And so we have this internal righteousness, and he's calling us to live this out. He's concerned more with our attitudes than our actions. He takes it up a notch there. And so the question I would ask is, does God have your heart? Does he have your heart like for seriously? If you're a student, are you just going through the motions to satisfy your parents? Adults, friends, are we just checking religious spiritual boxes? Say I'm showing up at worship gathering, I'm doing my good deeds. Are we just checking spiritual boxes so that we don't feel guilty, so that we can uh, keep up appearances? Or is our heart a fire for God? was at the doctor uh, recently with, uh, with a kid of mine, and they wanted to do an x-ray. And uh, you know what an x-ray machine does is it allows you to see what's on the inside. We can see the external. X-ray machine allows you to see the internal. And so if we're going through the motions, if we're checking boxes, that looks fine for all of us. But God can look straight through the external, and he can see our heart. He can see the internal. And so I would encourage you today to pray sincerely the song that we were singing earlier. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my life, Lord. Uh, if you will, pray with me now. Great and powerful God, creator of everything, good and personal, loving Father who sent Jesus to give us life. We know that you do not desire from us a going through the motions, a checking off boxes. But we know that you look and you see our hearts and you desire pure hearts. You desire broken, sincere hearts that are dependent upon you, that are loving you. So we pray, have mercy on us. Help us. In the name of Jesus, amen.